You're listening to On the Vine, a podcast about Ivy League basketball. Brought to you by IvyHoopsOnline.com. Welcome, everybody, to the third season finale of On the Vine. That's right. We don't actually count these by years. We count them by seasons in which On the Vine has existed uh, as as uh, as the world would have intended. I'm your host, Peter Andrews. Welcome to our program. We have a good show for you tonight as we recap uh, the season that was in Ivy League basketball and get ready for uh, a long and daunting offseason full of sunshine or I guess, something like that. Uh, we were joined by a great panel, as always. Our starting five, along with myself, Mike Tony, Mike, the editor-in-chief of Ivy Hoops Online. How are you? Good. How are you, Peter? Uh, I feel like we're just getting started now. No, no. Time for this to be done. <laughs> uh, uh, I, I agree. Joined, <laughs> we're joined by the Toothless Tiger himself, George Clark. George, how are you? I'm very fine. Uh, not looking forward to the off season, but certainly looking back over this season with uh, a great deal of fond mem- many fond memories. We're joined by uh, the Crimson Crawford himself, Robert Crawford. Welcome to the program, Robert. Thank you very much, Peter. Happy to be on as always. And our special guest, uh, you know him on Twitter as at IVBball, or you know him poking around in the forums as that guy who says that your team's players are worse than you think. Yes, he's specifically out to troll you and you only. It's Michael James. Michael, how are you? I am just wondering how I'm going to bring down this week's podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right, not only not only do you, uh, do you troll through the forums, but you try to destroy my Skype setup every week. So this is, this is fun. This, this will be a good time. Uh, well, welcome everyone. We're gonna have a good show. Uh, let's start in the obvious place to start. The Ivy League basketball season uh, was the first. Uh, I guess if you don't count the f- first four, was the first conference really to end their season uh, as they fell in the first game of the NCAA tournament, the Princeton Tigers, to Notre Dame after a hard-fought contest. The Tigers uh, making quite a good show of themselves on the national stage, but ultimately. Uh, you know, they had the shots to win. They came up just short. Let's start, uh, George, from your perspective, obviously covering the Tigers closely. What do you remember about this game? I remember going into the game hoping that uh, Princeton would would validate its terrific uh, regular season and, and play well uh, and uphold the traditions of the Ivy League and, and perhaps get an upset in the first round. Uh, that, that unfortunately did not unfold. But after the game concluded, uh, my sentiments were uh, focused on the fact that Princeton should have won that game, in my estimation, uh, holding Notre Dame to 24 points, I guess, 20, 23 points really in the second half until one-tenth of a second remained, uh, was quite an achievement. And we blew we blew a layup to start the game on a on a on a tip off a play we've run successfully many times. Uh, we had a lot of inside shots that, that didn't go down for one reason or another. And then at the end of the game, we had a chance uh, we had a forty percent chance to win that game when you put the ball in Devin Kennedy's hands for an open three. And I'd take that uh, that scenario anytime. It 
it didn't go down. Uh, and unfortunately, Princeton was not able to win. But uh, I thought they had a, a really good chance to do so. And I'm, I'm so proud of, of what the Tigers accomplished this year uh, that I'm still bursting with pride. But uh, now we got to get on to the next season. Yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was, it was, at first it was a very kind of devastating ending from a Ivy Hoops fan perspective, I guess, because I really, you know, I don't know, you can put glass half full or glass half empty, but, you know, at first I felt kind of half empty about it because that game was obviously right for the picking. You had the best free throw shooting team in the country shooting, you know, two two-thirds, 67% from the foul line, and really having no offensive rhythm whatsoever down the stretch. Uh, their guards were leaving wide-open looks for Stephen Cook in the corner and all along the perimeter. And so the fact that Princeton shot, I think, under 26% from three uh, really is just more about being cold from downtown rather than being you know, smothered uh, on the perimeter and not having a, a good good strategy. Uh, that's not the case. It was just you know getting cold and and, and not getting not getting the shots to fall. Um, uh, you know I, I I thought Stephen Cook was going to hit that three at the end. I thought Devin Kennedy was going to hit that three at the end. That's his shot. And at first I was a little crestfallen at that at a game that really was there. But when you think it back on the way that game unfolded, uh, the fact that they were able to, you know, show the athleticism of that backcourt, uh, you know, in a in a national spotlight to open the round of 64 proper, uh, it was it was good. It was it was a good, you know, it wasn't the outcome you'd like, but that season is a truly remarkable season given where the Ivy is right now. And it's just, yeah, I mean, you, you can't help but have a great deal of pride in what, how far the team was able to come, given the obstacles at the start of the season, given the obstacles at the end with, oh, here, you've got to win two more games uh, at the Palestra to punch your ticket, one of them against Penn. So, you know, no breaking news there, but it's just, it's just, it's just nice to be able to reflect on you know, one of the best, uh, one of the most stellar seasons, arguably ever in the, uh, certainly in the modern history of the league. Well, the Ivy League has been fortunate to put its best team in the tournament. Uh, I can't remember when, and maybe Mike James can make a case that we didn't always do that, but we always have to play a, a much better seeded team. Uh, and I think the coach of that team has nightmares the night before he's going to play one of the teams from the Ivy League. We've done very well in the first round, and we're never a soft touch. And it just bespeaks of the talent that's coming into this league and competing uh, hard every night. So going forward, uh, Princeton is going to be in the same position Yale was this year, losing two-time Ivy player of the year, Justin Sears and uh, Brandon Sherrod and Mackay Mason. Uh, they got back in the championship game this year. Princeton loses two first-team All-Ivy players, comes back with a pretty good starting 
a pretty good uh, returning cast, but needs to get uh, some help from a freshman or two. So it, it, Princeton obviously is not going to be the favorite going in this year, uh, but could possibly compete and get clearly should get back into the tournament, and who knows what's going to happen. So we're looking forward uh, with a lot of optimism. Any other thoughts on the, the tournament from the panel, Mike, Robert? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, what I'll say is that I think, you know, history is going to look back on this as a loss, um, and that's what it is, you know, in the in the cold, hard facts of, of wins and losses. But, you know, when you look at how that game unfolded, um, you know, Princeton, that, that was a, that was like a that was like a two standard deviation outcome for them in terms of what they were able to do to Notre Dame in that game and, and the fact that they didn't get the shots to fall to win that game. I mean, it is what it is, but they, they scared Notre Dame off the three point line. Um, really held them, you know, kept them from from dominating uh, them from the inside. Got them to take a lot of bad shots. Uh, only turned them over six times. Um, we actually lost the turnover battle, which is something that they were not doing in the Ivy League. And frankly, for a while there, when their offense was struggling, the only reason they were winning Ivy games is because they were actually generating such a healthy turnover margin um, that they were able to overcome the fact that their offense was not playing as well as, as it arguably should. Um, so they really just, I think the game plan against Notre Dame, that's a game plan where if they just hit their shots, you're talking about they could have walked out of there winning that game by seven, ten points. Um, I was extremely impressed. And, you know, again, like, people are going to look back. It's a first-round loss. But it's only a first-round loss because, you know, they shot eight for 31 from three. Um, you know, if, if that's, you know, a little different, I think we're having a very different conversation and we're talking about how uh, West Virginia harassed the crap out of them and turned them over 15 times and blew them out in the second round. <laughs> <laughs> I like your ability to see alternate realities there, Mike. That's impressive. Um, okay, well then, uh, so that that puts the capper on this season, right? Uh, Princeton washes out uh, in noble fashion. No other teams accepted postseason bids this year, so Yale's done, Harvard's done, other teams, I suppose, are done, and uh, and so we move into the off season, and so we'll 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 spend a little bit of time talking about. Um, the off season, what we expect to see, and, and what the very early prognostication for next year is. Let's start with the the main piece of Ivy news today, coming out of the nation's capital, where uh, John Thompson the third was let go by Georgetown, a, a Princeton graduate, um, and there are some speculation, both informed and uninformed, that Tommy Amaker might be a leading candidate for the job. Last season, we saw an above-average amount of coaching turnover in the Ivy League with three coaches uh, coming in uh, following various departures and firings. I'm not sure whether we're going to see something similar this offseason. It seems unlikely. There's not a lot of jobs that are obviously open. But uh, let me ask Mike James, who I think has the his, his ear closest to the pulse of the, of the league, what, uh, what do you think we're going to see in terms of coaching movement this offseason? And, and particularly... Even if you're not informed, I'd like you to opine on whether you think this Amaker story has any legs. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I think that I'd be surprised if anyone makes a move this offseason. Um, you know, I think that everyone sort of has, has has a group coming back that 
they can feel good about putting them back into the national spotlight. Uh, and I know we'll touch more on, on, on who's coming back uh, and what those teams are going to look like a little bit later. Uh, but, you know, I mean, Amaker obviously has the D.C. roots. I get why people are making that connection. Um, I would just be a little surprised, um, given the amount of investment that he's made into the Harvard community um, and really the pride that he takes in his place in it, um, I just would be surprised. I, I, I think that some people often will look at coaches and basically say, well, if you back up the Brinks truck, you can get anyone. Um, and I think that's true for maybe some coaches. Um, but Amaker's always been a little bit different. And everything you read about him and everything you see about him, he's always described as being a little bit different. And I've said from the start, I think he really loves his place in the Harvard community and the fact that he is doing something at a school like Harvard that, you know, as he always says, hasn't been done before and that he's able to do that there um, and his support network there. It's going to take a little more than money to get him to get him to leave. Granted, the connection is, is really strong to that area. He'd be a recruiting master in that area. Um, and I think he'd be a fantastic hire for Georgetown. I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, so, I mean, that's that's my relatively uninformed take. But, you know, at the end of the day, I saw I saw the rumors flying around. Obviously, they're they're going fast and furious. Um, I don't think it has any legs. But, you know, what do I know? Well, the Harvard kind of Harvard backed up the Brinks SUV to get Amaker. There's no doubt about that might not have been the Brinks truck. But uh, I think does he's Brinks have SUVs? That's that's new. To me. I think <laughs> heavily armored ones. <laughs> he's a, the he's the most highly compensated coach in the Ivy League. Uh, that's for sure. And and I I agree with Mike James' analysis. I I don't think he is at all interested. His wife is is uh, also a, a very well ensconced member of that uh, of the community in Boston and has a terrific job there. Uh, and the team he's got coming back could very well be a top 25 team, if not next year, the year after that. So I, I think the future for Tommy Amaker is very bright in uh, Cambridge. I'm, I'm a little, I'll push back just because I have taken this role, apparently of always pushing back. What is, I, I don't, think that most people saw Tommy Amaker as someone who was going to spend the rest of his career in Cambridge. Uh, and, you know, at a certain point you wonder, uh, is there is there one specific job that he's waiting for and he'll only take that one? Because, you know, Georgetown has a tremendous basketball legacy, similar in terms of uh, elite private school kind of background as well, from Amaker's area. You know, it checks a lot of boxes. And I just... You know, the argument that, like, he's not going to leave because he likes Harvard, to me, is the sort of thing that, it sounds like the sort of thing people always say before their coach bolts, you know? <laughs> um, and, 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 right? Like, I, I, like, I'm being facetious a little bit, but, um, you know, I, I, it doesn't seem like the world's strongest argument to me. And maybe Robert, Robert Crawford also has some thoughts on this. Yep. Peter, here's what I'll say is that I think every single random job that pops up, you kind of think, oh, he's not going to take that, or maybe he's not even going to be offered that position, but the last two years have kind of stuck out with Stanford and Georgetown coming available. And it seems like if he, I mean, I don't, 
I honestly do not know whether or not he was offered the Stanford position or he declined to be a candidate. But if he turns down those two jobs, then the question becomes, is he going to stay at Harvard forever? And is he going to, is he waiting for Duke? I mean, what else are you waiting for? Um, after those two jobs pop up, great academic schools, great basketball schools, and just great institutions. And again, the DC ties, uh, to Amaker and Georgetown. I mean, again, I would bet against him going there because of what he has coming back and all the reasons everyone else has said. But if he can pass these two tests and not leave because of, you know, uh, at, the Stanford and the Georgetown openings, I, I wonder if he's going to try to, if he's thinking about staying at Harvard forever or waiting for one job like Duke or whatever it may be. So I think if he gets past these two things, then we are starting to ask that question. Is he going to try to stay at Harvard forever? Is and the one thing about the Georgetown job, too, that, that does separate it from the Stanford job, just to be clear, is that Stanford is, you know, a middle of the road Pac-12 job. Um, and it, it's arguably another Michigan situation where it is a, a, you know, a good power conference job, but there may be better ones in that conference that you're in. Georgetown is the sort of Big East job. Like that is, I think that people would probably agree on this, that it is the top job in the Big East, um, just with the resources and the legacy behind that program. Um, so this one is a little bit of a different animal maybe than Stanford. Um, but again, like you have to look at, you know, the renovations that they're doing to Levides this offseason and the coalition that he put together in order to get that done, um, get that across the finish line. Um, I think this is a little bit more than just like, I like the community. I like being at this school. He is actually like ingrained himself in the university. He goes to the case. Mike, Mike coaches, the, coaches leave all the time when they're ingrained in the university. I, they I, they I get, get ingrained you, and then they take the next step. But but what I'm talking about ingrained, I mean like you know he's 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 in the business school, he's in the K school. He's, you can see that he just loves loves that. And I think this is a little bit different than you know oh you know I really love the fans and I, I love the I love the the school and and you know we're having a great time in this town. Um, it's a little bit different when you really actually are part of the fabric of the academic side of the institution, not just the athletic side. Um, and I think that's because people don't necessarily always get about Amaker, um, Amaker specifically. Um, and, you know, again, like we've been having this conversation for 10 years um, and I'll continue to bet against um, and we'll continue to see what happens. I hope he stays. I mean, from a league perspective, he's made he's obviously made the league better. I certainly, I mean, you that's, know, interviewed him a few debatable. times and interviewed him a few times in press conferences. Don't really know him at all, but he seems happy there. I hope he stays. I hope he stays put. I hope he, you know, he's his roots are are long and wide now, and you know, I mean, whatever. I mean, I I also I just get turned off by coaches just chasing the next job and it's but it's very he, refreshing to see someone who, who job, isn't though, doing like, that. he's been there for 10 he's been there for a decade right like i don't know how you can say he's chasing the next job when he's he, he has a record of uh you know even if he took the georgetown job tomorrow i don't think you could possibly blame him for 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 taking it that 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 does not make uh, i don't know i'm i'm and i might be biased because i want tommy amaker out of the ivy league Yesterday, um, so if he takes the Georgetown job, that's fine. But I just want to—I just want to keep pushing back because I don't think that 
I think these arguments are not backed up by much more than uh, I, I think that these arguments are specious. So that's all I'm going to say on that. I'm just saying it's nice to see somebody who seems to be happy where he is, you know, that, that is kind of pushing back against this uh, notion that, you know, it's the Ivy League is just a stepping stone, and where am I, where am I going next? And if he goes to Georgetown, that would be perfectly understandable. There's no, there's no doubt about that. The the DC roots are there, you know. As you said, it does check so many boxes. It's just, I don't know. It's it, it would be nice to see him stick around, and you know, if if not, then you know, genuinely happy trails to him, I guess. So that's more time than I intended to talk about Tommy Amaker. I uh, don't like to talk about Tommy Amaker <laughs> ever. And I didn't even I didn't even have a chance to challenge uh, Robert's assertion that Stanford is a great institution and a great basketball school. Neither of which, of course, is true. Uh, let's talk about Peter. You're having Robert a rough, you're having a rough night because we started with Princeton and then we moved to Tommy Amaker. So <laughs> and, and then brought up, and then brought Devin up Stanford for, was in there. Brought up Stanford for literally no reason. Like, uh, why is anyone talking about him taking the Cal job? I don't know. Uh, and then, uh, as, as karmic punishment, uh, Robert has been accidentally dropped from this call. I think he's back now. Robert, I'm are you back. there? Sorry about that. I'm there. back. Yes. There we go. All right. So, uh, those who are plugged in, are we expecting, if, if uh, assuming that. Um, Amaker stays, everyone is going to stay into next season? I, I can't think of anyone else who's primed to jump. Can't think of I anyone. suppose if if, uh, if somebody were interested in Mitch Henderson, this would be the time to, to, to get him. But no, I have seen no speculation other than some idle drivel on the message boards uh, that uh, Henderson was looking to leave Princeton, and I, I doubt that that's even within the realm of possibility. Yeah, I mean, this is a little different I, I, from the Princeton, I mean, from, from Sydney leaving, you know, I, I think this is a little bit different because you know, there was a freight train coming and Princeton was going to take a step back, back in 2011. Uh, this time around, I got to say that James Jones, Mitch Henderson, Tommy Amaker, they got to like where they're going to be next year. Um, I don't think any of them, like, I, I just think that, the, no one's going to jump. Like, I don't think, I don't see Mitch Henderson jumping for like a Fairfield job. Like I think it's gotta be a, a bigger job than that. And maybe the second order effects of some of the, the bigger jobs that are out there waiting to be filled will wind up opening a role that would put a, another Ivy job at risk. But I don't see it happening. I, I, I would be surprised if, if the league didn't stand pat. Yeah. I'd also just add to that. I think, I mean, when you look at coaches jumping, also coaches being fired, I don't really see anyone, in that uh, position, I mean, look at coaches who aren't in their first year and teams are at the bottom of the league this year. I mean, Mike Martin's the guy that comes to mind, but I think he's a great coach, and I don't think he's going anywhere. So I would have to agree that it's you know this is a year where not going to be much turnover in the Ivy coaches. So not a lot of turnover means uh, that we're going to be looking mostly to, to new players and players departing as we as we sort of preview next season. Um, a lot of talent in the league. Obviously, Mike James has has talked a lot on Twitter about how how strong the the freshman and sophomore classes were this year. Um, what can you tell us uh, as as someone who is pays more attention to recruiting than uh, I do? Uh, what can you tell us about the incoming class of freshmen? Um, who were the kind of the standout players? Uh, whose classes are, are are sort of really strong? What what can you tell us? I mean, 
I would say that right now, I think that Princeton or Yale wound up pulling down the best class um, when it comes to just the depth of what they got. Um, you know, Princeton has three really good, you know, wing players to choose from uh, to, to replace uh, Cook and Wise. Um, and I would say that for Yale, um, a lot of different pieces to like out of that class. Um, they have a uh, they have a forward coming in uh, who I, I forget his name uh, right now, but um, you know they they really did a nice job with a nice deep class. Um, I think that um, Harvard may have pulled down the the sort of the, the most coveted piece of the class, um, a Canadian named Danilo Dejuricic. Um He he started uh, some of the FIBA under eighteen competitions. Um, had a nice run in the AAU circuit as well. Um, that was he was sort of the the like the hot name among the different Ivies when he classified back from eighteen to seventeen. Um, they also have um, a, uh, a a point guard sort of a combo guard coming in who uh, could be a very nice lockdown defender. Um, so they got a couple of nice pieces, but I would say in terms of depth of class, you're looking at Princeton and Yale. I think Penn also got some really nice pieces. Um, you know, maybe that, sort of with Harvard and that, like right behind Princeton and Yale. Um, and then I actually think it's, it's, it's kind of interesting how much talent flowed to the rest of the league as well. Columbia picked up a couple pieces I really like. Uh, Brown, um, uh, Desmond Cambridge, um, I, I think Chris Knight, I think his kid's name's going to Dartmouth, who I think um, could be pretty good. Uh, so there was a lot of talent going to the, the rest of the league. I, I mean, if you look at last year or this past year, the freshmen, there were 10 of them that had over a win share. I think we could do that well or even better potentially next year. It just depends on how much playing time those freshmen get on those top teams. Well, it, it helps that there's would, definitely a, there's a vortex at the a vortex at the top of the league with a senior class that does not have a, a lot of returning uh, star players. Sorry, Robert, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say that in terms of playing time, I would suspect uh, Mario Haskett for Harvard, who Mike references a guard who can defend. I think, I mean, Amaker loves to play guys who can lock down on the perimeter. And I think, I mean, I just wouldn't be surprised to see him get lots of time, even on a deep team, just because of his defense. And uh, Juricic, too, great shooter. Obviously, Harvard has a lot of depth in that department, but he could see some minutes. But especially Haskett, uh, Amaker loves playing guys who are very consistent perimeter defenders. So I would look out for him to play a role next year. So I know Penn, uh, Penn recruited a guy, Gerard Simmons, who was born in Princeton. So that's, that's always interesting. That's all I have to say. <laughs> in, in that case, I will, I will ask Mike a question because like, I think a lot of people who listen to this podcast read message boards and things like that. And I, I, Oh geez, here we go. Well, no, 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 no. I'm, I'm approaching you and I'm actually, I, I swear to God approaching as someone who just like, doesn't understand how rankings work and how we, how we talk about players before they become players. Um, the, the fluff I'm sort of referencing is that Columbia has a gentleman coming in named Jaron Folds, who is really big and is uh, going to play center probably and is uh, by ESPN rated as the best player in the class at 80. Or, and again, I don't know what 80 means, so that's kind of why I'm bringing this up. And there's been a lot of talk on the Columbia message board that like picking up this player 
that A, he's going to be a difference maker next year, and B, he's not getting enough love from people like Mike, who have a slightly different way of looking at the ranking. So I'm curious, again, I'm curious, not accusatory, I'm curious why, how you make your determinations of what you're looking for in a class, how you how you sit here and say, well, the X class, Y class, predicted is better. And, and then if you could speak a little bit about to Folds as to why uh, you either think he's what you think about Folds that Columbia fans, for whatever reason, do not like about you? <laughs> um, you know, I would say that for him specifically, um, I have a little question as to whether or not he'll be good in an Engels sort of up and down, faster type offense. Um, you know, I think that he actually strikes me as surprisingly enough more of like a Kyle Smith type player. Um I also think that, you know, when you look at players, I think the recruiting rankings, and I've been on record saying this, are actually better than people give them credit for and have been improving dramatically over time. Um, sometimes what can happen, though, is that, like, a player will get rated two years ago, um, especially this happens with Biggs, this happened with, you know, Chris Eggies, happened with others. They get rated early on, um, and, you know, you see a, a guy who's 6'10 and can play, and you're like, that's a four-star guy. Um, and you never really go back and, 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 and fix, you know, sort of like take a, a look, you know, when the player is supposed supposed to have developed. Um, so it winds up actually helping in those situations if you look at real offers extended. So offers that the player can call up the coach and say, hey, I'm going to take these. Um, and also, you know, you can get some, some scouts from folks that would know um, around the league and everything. And you sort of put together a, a better picture um, and get a sense of, you know, what you might expect a player to really do in that first year. Um, I think he's going to play, I think he's going to play a fair deal. Um, I think that he'll easily be among those, if you consider, if you say we're going to do another 10 players that have at least a win share or more, um, he'll be among those players. I just think that, you know, what I was trying to tap the brakes on was this idea that, like, far and away he's the best incoming player in the league. Um, I think um, that... Uh, Sebastian and Danilo, Sebastian from Princeton and Danilo from Harvard. Those are the two players that I've heard the most that like coaches were like, oh, we got to get these guys. Um, everyone was on them. So those are the two that I think right now are sort of like further ahead of others. And then there's this whole second tier that's really loaded with talent. Guys you might consider to be quote unquote three star guys or whatever. And, and, and uh, you know, he's in there. Um, there are a lot of folks on Princeton and Yale that are in there as well. All right, so if we look at it, uh, I appreciate the explanation because, you know, this stuff's lost on me. Um, so next season, it sounds like, you know, a uh, lot of chatter about Princeton, Yale, and Harvard and, and chatter about Penn. And, of course, some of that revolves around who gets invited to be on this podcast. Um, but some of it also reflects the fact that those were the three three of the best teams this year. Um, and, or, you know, I've seen some early projections that, that have them have them at the top of the tournament. Uh, so just throwing out to the panel, are we going to see the the exact same set of teams in next year's conference tournament, wherever it may be, uh, or are there teams that you think might make a leap next year? Mm. I would. Well, I, I think we've got pretty much the same uh, set of set of tiers. I think you've got Penn and Columbia are in that middle tier where. You know they're not they're not top 100, but they're you know they're in they're in that 100 to 200 range maybe uh, next season. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Penn still has. If you look at who's returning for Penn, I think they've they're in a really good spot to uh, claim the number four seed again. I think Columbia is losing uh, with Luke Prochasek uh, a lot more than Penn is losing with any one player. Uh, you know, with all due respect to Matt Howard, who you know had a really memorable game there against Harvard at the end. But yeah, I think Penn's Penn's a much you know Penn's got a little bit more depth coming into the season. I also didn't like, I think from a macro perspective, if you're Columbia and we're looking at that, you know, that number four slot, you, I don't think you can like the fact that the team leans so heavily on Mike Smith more and more and more and more on him down the stretch as that season went on. It's It, it was impressive and it showed that I really think Mike Smith is was one of the most underrated players in the league last year, especially on offense. But you I would have liked to have seen uh, some more balance. Uh, okay, all right, all right, all right. Stretch. Time for Mike to stop talking. Um, let's 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 what, make, you don't let's like make some Mike things. Smith, Peter? Let's make some things clear here for a second, um, because for starters, I'm not going to just sit here and accept the the contention that Columbia will only be competing for the four seed, because I do think there have been no basketball games played next year. So let's not. Let's not go crazy, and it's eight months from now. Second, uh, everyone has forgotten that Kyle Castlin missed his entire season with a toe injury. Um, Kyle Castlin, who should have been the rookie of the year uh, three years ago, uh, and is uh, I'm still bitter about that, obviously. Uh, and was don't, I don't you have another podcast, Peter, where you can relitigate stuff like that or something? No, no, no. This is my only. This is my only podcast. Um, uh, <laughs> Michael, uh, Mike, we have to we have to listen to him because he's he runs a damn podcast. <laughs> no, it's true. It's true though. Uh, like you know, you guys don't have a podcast, so you have to listen to Columbia takes. Because also, like, I don't want to. You know, I don't know why anyone would listen to this podcast if it's just like Princeton Harvard guys talking about how great they are. So, um, I I. I I, I also think Lucas Meisner was was injured for pretty much the entire down the stretch of the Ivy League. So to say they relied on Mike Smith, I think of as a pretty incredible that a freshman could do that, and b considering who that they did not have available to them in a coach's first season, I think it's a bit I think it's a bit wonky to say okay, so this is a bad thing for Columbia that they had a freshman playing out of his mind down the stretch. So um, that's all I want to say about that. Uh, let, let let me flip to the Harvard people because uh, I think Harvard is the team that most people would say has the most upside for next year in terms of this class for this year that was so deep and, and world-shattering, uh, having a chance to take that next leap, um, only really losing a couple players. I, I don't know. What, what do you think the Robert and Mike, the, the, the future holds for Harvard this season? I mean, I think Harvard has a lot of potential, as you as you noted. I mean, I would say they do lose a lot, and players are going to have to change a little bit how they play. I mean, Bryce Aiken's a guy who's able to really be a scorer, and now he's going to be the, the point guard and the facilitator. And actually, in a end-of-season recap video that Harvard Basketball put out, uh, it had you know Tommy Amaker talking about his thoughts on the year. He basically said that you know Bryce Aiken, we don't want him to lose that daring, and that uh, scores mentality, but we also he needs you know to learn a little bit how to involve other players because if he's going to be that main point guard, and you know it looks like he's going to be, 
he's going to need to get a guys involved a little more. So they're going to be, um, I think improvements in order and also adjustments for Harvard. But it, I mean, in a way, they they don't lose much when you look at who they have um, coming back. And I think I'm wary to to put them as you know a top 25 or a or a you know run away with the Ivy League because I still think that that would take a lot of improvement. And their freshmen played incredibly well this year. And um, it's it's hard for me to almost imagine that Bryce Sakin's going to go and score 35 a few games instead of 25. So it's I think it's going to be improvements in the right places that are going to be important for Harvard, not necessarily every freshman scoring 10 more points a game because you know that would really be impossible. These guys already had a um, already had incredible seasons this year. So I think it'll be about if the right guys can make the right adjustments in order to really fill the gaps and then take the game to the next step a little bit. So who is yeah, the I- Oh, go ahead, Mike. Sorry. No, I was just going to say, I think that um, the losses are incredibly interesting because if you look at it, you know, Bryce Aiken and Siani Chambers are playing a lot together down the stretch. That was clearly not an ideal defensive situation. Um, I frankly think that, you know, it's, it's almost the same idea as you couldn't play Chris Lewis and Zena together. Uh, it just wouldn't work for what they were trying to do offensively. Um, so, you know, you look at the, the two big losses here are sort of, they're almost like losses of, of depth more than anything, um, because they weren't able to play together. Um, so now the question is, is what can you do? And, and, and like, can Bryce Aiken do the things that Siani did, um, you know, on offense? We don't know. I mean, we'll find out. Are any of the freshmen going to learn how to play defense? I mean, you're talking about a lot of these freshmen came from high school programs where their job was to score, 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 score. And now they learn how to play D1 defense. And if you look sometimes, they got their head on the swivel. They're not even looking at the ball. Uh, I mean, it, it was – you could tell that they were drowning on defense. Can they clean that up over the summer? Um, so there's a lot of questions here about this team. Talent-wise, there's raw talent. I mean, this is the best team that Harvard has ever had, and it's had some good ones. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know if next year is the year when they figure it all out. I think that it might be a little further down the road. Um, but defensively, that's where they have the most work to do. Um, you know, we'll see. Ceiling is very high, but I'm a little bit skeptical of anyone saying things like top 25. Well, the key for Harvard, in my estimation, is that if Aiken's going to be the point guard, he has to learn how to involve other players. Uh I was I watched the Harvard Yale game at at the Palestra two weeks ago, and when this at the end we were looking at the stats and he had 25 shots and I said my God that's amazing, and the guy sitting next to me said well that's because he he only had the ball 25 times. Uh, <laughs> he's going to have to learn how to involve other people, and if you watch the whole floor when he was shaking and baking, everybody else was standing around clearly. They don't feel that they're going to be rewarded for moving without the ball when he's doing what he can do, and he can do it so well. There's, there's just he's offensively he's not going to get much better than he is right now. But if he can learn how to play with other people, the ceiling for that team is unlimited. But he'll get plenty of opportunity to score because he can score in so many different ways. But you, you've got so much other talent there that. Uh, uh, if he can learn how to, to use it to his advantage, that's going to be a real difficult team to beat. 
George, there's one thing I would just add to what you said. I totally agree. But that game, that game, I don't mind. I did not mind Bryce Aiken taking that many shots at the way other guys were going. I mean, in a full season, I would I would say Bryce Aiken, you know, needs to share that ball. But I would have taken a contested Bryce Aiken shot over an open three from almost anyone on the floor on that night. And, you know, the few times that he passed the ball at the end of the game ended up being Harvard's downfall. So, you know, Bryce Aiken, one of Bryce Aiken's great qualities when other guys, you know, other guys aren't scoring. Like in the Houston game, they were down. He took them all the way back. In the Yale game, took them all the way back. So, you know, it's just finding that balance of how he, you know, when he knows when to when to dish to others and when he takes it on himself. But I would agree with your point totally that he, he needs to learn how to uh, involve other guys a little bit. But on that night, it seemed like he was really the only guy who could get anything going. And he will learn. He will learn. There's no question about that in my mind. Uh, he's a, he's as, as great a talent as has come into this league in, in several years. And Seth Towns is going to be player of the year, if not next year, soon. That kid is a legitimate NBA prospect, in my estimation. All of this is to say that uh, Princeton will not be favored to, to be the, the title winner next year going into the season as we were this year. We don't have everybody coming back. It's going to be a fascinating year. Columbia's going to be better. Penn's going to be better. Everybody's going to be better, I think. Even uh, well, Cornell's going to have some interesting players coming in. Let me interject just because I wanted to talk about the end of the conference. Uh, if we if we talk about it as as three three tiers, as as George, uh, I don't know whose dog this is. I think it's George's dog. Um, so uh, Dartmouth. Cornell and Brown, two teams, uh, two of those teams have coaches going into the second year. The third, we mentioned Mike Martin earlier, uh, frequent IHO contributor Rob Brown mentions in a chat message. Martin has a very good reputation as coach and is unwell with the alums, but Corey Dowtry has left the program. Three others possibly may have left, and there were six others who left during the last three years. Um, why do people think that number is so high? So sort of two questions for the, for the panel as we wrap up our way too early season preview. Uh, one is a specific question about Brown, which is what's going on uh, with the player roster at Brown, and is it a major issue for Mike Martin? And then the second is just uh, which of those three teams do we think is going to make the biggest leap next year? So uh, someone who knows something about Brown maybe should go first. Well, I mean, we've we've heard uh, over the last couple of seasons that, you know, players exiting the program there – uh, you know, there have been grumblings about, you know, maybe not being totally uh, satisfied with the experience there, I guess. Um, but again, those are, you know, those are rumblings. Uh, you know, a lot of programs have that same kind of thing, although the numbers that are uh, exiting the program, n- not as high. Certainly, that's something that uh, Mike Martin has had to contend with uh you know, Leland King is the is the biggest name uh, that that the jumped when he jumped for uh, Nevada. But yeah, I mean, uh, it's an interesting trajectory there when you look at the first two seasons having one of the best defenses in the league, and and that really has gone away uh, the past few years. But but uh, you know, he is one of the best. Uh, I think he's a really great in-game coach. He's fantastic at drawing up plays out of timeouts. A very good situational coach. 
it's 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 just if you look at the history, if you look at the facilities, it's just that's a really tough uh, tough slot to be in as a coach. And I don't think it's I I and to answer your other question to tie in, I don't see Brown making much of a jump next year. I think if anything, they're the, the least likely uh, to to make such, such a jump when you look at. Steven Spieth going away and, and the problems that they they had in terms of pacing and personnel. Um, you know, the defense is just not close to what it needs to be. Um, you know, there's no secret there. There's not not even a whole lot to analyze. It's just it's just not there. Um, I think that I think Cornell could make quite a leap just because when you look at the offensive efficiency over the course of the season, you saw Matt Morgan taking higher percentage shots uh, within a system. You saw a team that uh, was actually getting good looks. I mean, I watching them in some games, I know watching them in, in the barn burner of a game against uh, Penn at Newman late in the season. Uh, you know they they're really good at running their sets more so than past seasons. Uh, it's just a, a matter of you know getting some rim protection, uh, getting some bigs, and really just kind of moving the moving the the uh, the timeline forward and continuing deeper into the Brian Earl era. I think they're going to be better as 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 time goes on. There, um, Jimmy Beheim's going there next season, so. You know, maybe they'll play a little two-three zone. I don't know. What I'll say on Brown, what I'll say on Brown is that, you know, Mike Martin is, is an incredibly like, I think he, I think using the the word student of the game uh, is perfect to describe him. Um, he has an insatiable appetite uh, for just learning about everything around the game. I think you want that in a coach. Uh, especially a coach that has to sort of dig out of what is what is I, mean, I think we all would admit is is sort of a resources disadvantage. Um, you know, I see this. I see a lot of the grumblings around the players leaving the program. Um, you know, people saying the players aren't having fun or whatever. I, I don't know. I mean, I think sometimes that can just that can be overblown. Um, you know, sometimes players just don't adapt well to a coaching style. I, I think people are reading way too much into it. And I think they're reading into it because the team, the performance just hasn't been there since, you know, being a postseason team a few years back. Um, so I, I think that if you're Brown, you've got, you know, a very, very, very good coach. You will do much worse on the open market trying to find someone to replace him. Um, so I think you just got to give him time. Um, let him, let him work through this stuff. I mean, certainly I think that he does all the right things and the in-game stuff is absolutely a, a signal of that um, to be successful uh, there, and I think they just need to be patient. Um, Cornell's interesting. I don't know that they're getting the players to be able to make a jump. Um, Dartmouth, I hope, will stabilize. This year was pretty shocking at how much they fell off um, over, um, over, you know, after losing Paul um, and that staff. I, I don't know. I, I mean... I, I think those three teams are, are still going to be distant six, seven, eight. Um, and, you know, I think Columbia will be somewhere in the middle around five. And then I think the top four are going to be pretty solidly top four um, with a decent gap between them and, and the rest. 
Unlikely. Anyone else have thoughts on the bottom three? <laughs> Here's all, all that I will add is that Dartmouth, of course, has coming back two former Ivy Rookie of the Years, including Miles Wright, of course, who won it over Kyle Castle a few years ago. So look out for those two guys. I always wonder when Dartmouth's <laughs> going to be good because they have those two guys, but it never it hasn't happened yet. I don't see it happening, but we'll see. I'm going to start a separate podcast called Why Kyle Kasson Was Robbed of the 2014 Rookie <laughs> Year, and it's just going to be every episode just me talking the same exact thing. So let's uh, let's wrap up um, with uh, everyone is going to make a way too early prediction. It is going to be a one-word prediction only. You're only allowed one word, and that is who the Ivy League representative to next year's tournament will be. Note, I'm not asking regular season champion. I'm asking who will represent the league in March Madness. So take a second to think. And we've all thought. Okay. Uh, Mike Tony first. Harvard. Robert. Mm, Yale. George. George. <laughs> oh, we lost George. Where did we? George, are you there? Oh, goodness. What a bummer. Mike. Not going to give you that pred- prediction, but I will I will say that I think that Makai Mason will be player of the year. Why, why can't you just play my little game, Mike? <laughs> it's way too close. It would just be picking a random team between Harvard, Princeton, and Yale. That's the point. <laughs> That's the point. Uh, is 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 George there? I see his whimsy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and whereas I'm pretty much only whimsy. Um, George is is staring at the screen. Someone behind, wave to him. He's like, hello, George. No. This seems, this seems like a, a, a fitting time to end the season of On the Vine. Uh, <laughs> Uh, as always, at the end of the season, I like to thank uh, everyone who came on the show at some point this year. We did another 12-episode season, um, in which time we had, a, a, aside from me and Mike, Tony, uh, every week we had a, a ton of great guests, uh, not the least of which are, is our panel tonight. Um, so if you're listening and you were on the show at some point this year, I, I don't have a list of names in front of me, but I will just say thank you very much. We appreciate you. You know, coming to talk basketball with us here here on the Vine. Um, uh, I think this is a a fun resource for the for the Ivy League. It's a fun chance for us to all talk, and um, I uh, uh, have fun putting it together every week. So, um, with that, I think uh, we say farewell for the for the long winter. Um, you know, I at the in March, I can never promise that we'll be back uh, in November with more episodes. Um, because that's very much a, a take it or leave it kind of thing once we get to the to the new year. But uh, you know, it'll be a long summer and a long long off season, and we'll all take some time to recharge and, and we'll get back at it for for next season. So, with that all being said, I would like to thank our panel. So, thank you to uh, Robert Crawford for all your coverage of Harvard this year, your multiple appearances on this podcast. Just remind everyone what your Twitter handle is. Sure, uh, at Crimson Crawford, check me out. Uh, thank you for having me on, Peter. As always, thank you for a great year, Mike and Peter. Um, 
look forward to hopefully doing it next year and beyond. It was another very enjoyable year. Thank you to our guest this week, Mike James. You can find on Twitter at IVB Ball. Uh, we, as always, appreciate your your wisdom, even when it comes lacking whimsy. Uh, thank you so much, <laughs> and you know we'll see you around. Always a fun time. Happy to be here. George Clark is wearing the most resplendent orange <laughs> vest this week, and he has been a constant on our podcast, even when he cannot quite get on the on the phone for various reasons because his Skype is broken or his dogs are there or whatever, whatever <laughs> it may be. Um, it's such a great vest. I wish everyone could see this vest that George is wearing awesome. as he, he fumbles with his stuff. And I'm, I don't think he's going to be able to, to plug back in in time to, to hear what I'm saying. I don't think. Nope. Okay. Well, so all that being said is a, a roundabout way of saying that, uh, uh, we really appreciate George's coming on the show every week. Uh, brings such a valuable voice, always entertaining, even when he's not entertained by me being cranky. And of course, right as I say that, he's gone. So thank you very much <laughs> to the Toothless Tiger himself, George Clark. And thank you to Mike Tony, the co-host and editor-in-chief of the website. Mm-hmm. Mike, everything you do to keep the website alive is is uh, is awesome and uh, glad that we get to... Uh, get to trade emails every week about what time we're going to do this stupid show. So thank you very much as always. <laughs> yeah, it's, it, it's been quite a season. It's been a roller coaster. When you think about all the ups and downs, the team. And now Mike is frozen. Jeez. I mean, where Princeton was, where Penn was, where Mike is frozen, where Columbia was, all these different se- uh, seasons that had ups and downs and, all these road teams winning in league play, first ever conference tournament. There was a there was a lot to take in this year. This was this was a uh, uh, I don't know what the word is. Just a topsy turvy, uh, very demanding year of fans in the best possible way. So it's been it's been wonderful to be able to document that on on the vine with uh, so many knowledgeable fans and writers and people that. People that love Ivy Hoops, and and I'm I'm very grateful that we're able to do this, and specifically that you're able to to help us to to well not help us but to actually make it happen. So thanks as always, Peter, for for doing this, uh, uh, and uh, looking forward to Mike Smith being Player of the Year next year, right? <laughs> no, I, okay, let's not let's. I'm not here to be patronized <laughs> to Mike. Um, it could it could happen. Wins. Every 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 podcast I get accused of being patronizing. I'm just uh, <laughs> I mean you can tell you can tell the you know the relationship's going downhill because Peter doesn't call you the emperor or the archduke <laughs> or whatever it is before every that's, podcast. That's true. I've su- I've settled on I've settled on co-host because I think it's the <laughs> least uh, um, well I appreciate that as always Mike and you know next year uh, when Penn basketball finishes 0 and 28, that'll be you know I'm I'm sure that you will bring your your same level of good cheer to this podcast. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm finally wearing my red and blue in the final final show. No orange today. George had that covered. So yeah, we yeah. just I, uh, because I, I know people really care about what I wear. Yes, and this this audio podcast that we do, uh, it, it does seem a little bit perverse <laughs> to constantly talk about what we're wearing. But, hey, that's what this is. This is on the Vine. This has been on the Vine. It's been another great season. And uh, have a great summer. Like, summer's great. It doesn't matter. There's no basketball. Enjoy it. Enjoy your lives. And uh, we'll catch you guys in November. So this is Peter Andrews signing off. <laughs>